1: Alex, it is our first podcast since Pitchers and Catchers officially reported for every Major League Baseball team. So we've been getting a trickle, steady trickle. Is that, is that just a stream? Steady flow? I don't right. know. Yeah. A trickle sort of implies that it's light. It's not light. We've been getting so many photos You Major League you could say. Deluge. Sure. Thank you. This is why you're a great editor. Um, a deluge of photos of players on baseball fields. In the, the great states of Florida and Arizona. Not that great in some respects. Good in others. Uh, not the point. My question for you is, you know, I saw a picture from from Met Spring Training this morning. It was Steve Cohen who was standing with someone who's, I know, very near and dear to your heart, Alex. And that is former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie.
0: Oh, shit. I thought you were going to go go JJF. But, but this is... Uh...
1: No, well, Oakland doesn't doesn't have spring training in Florida. Can you imagine if John Fisher was just in Florida at like a different team spring training? Yes, I absolutely can imagine that. <laughs> Anything to be, get away from the A's. No, he was with Chris Christie, bro. And my question for you, so we know Chris Christie is part of the Mets front office. He's like a special advisor or whatever. He's part of Steve Cohen's fucking leadership counselor or whatever the hell he calls it. My question for you is this. You no, know, Mets shaping up to be pretty good this year. Highest projected win total. Obviously, something is going to go drastically wrong, as it always does. But if it doesn't go drastically wrong, if this is the year the Mets bring it home, do you think that Chris
0: Christie will get a World Series ring? Probably. I feel like even if he's not on the shortlist, like he could throw his weight around and get one made for him, right? Like he's, he's clearly got the ear of the guy in charge, and the guy in charge is clearly willing to spend to, to make his people happy. I mean, we know that he's not above bribing someone to get what he wants. That get too. the desired outcome. So mm-hmm. if he didn't
1: get a ring, maybe he could just bribe the person who hands out the ring to lose one for him. <laughs> oh, I lost one. Sorry, we have to have another one made. Sorry, Mark Kenna. You're going to have to wait to get
0: your World Series ring, brother. I feel like Mark Canna is too good for that. You know, I feel like there's another Patsy he could get involved. Right. Well, I don't think he'd be bribing Mark Kenna.
1: I think he would be bribing like Joe Smith. <laughs> for the person who hands out the
0: World Series rings. Oh, I thought you were saying he would bribe Canna to lose the ring and mm. get another one made and then Chris Christie just takes No, no, no. <laughs> Mark, I think he's going to go s- World Series ring.
1: Straight to the source, you know. Mm. If I asked you to describe the Chris Christie bridge scandal, how would you do that? Say that like an alien landed on Earth and wanted to understand why Chris Christie is no longer the governor of New
0: Jersey. I think I'd have to explain to them first why he was originally the <laughs> governor of New Jersey before we got there.
1: <laughs> like, do you so remember like, wait, 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 any wait, wait, details? Wait, hang on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> any details from the Chris Christie Bridge scandal? I mean, it was, I, I know that I'm probably dumbing it down a lot, but he but he, he, he used, I don't know what you use in the, the t- Department of Transportation. Sure, whatever. He closed the bridge. Public he Works. He made the orders, right? Public Works. They, sure. Sure. He, I don't really remember why,
1: you know, like I know, I know was some some personal gain there, but like what?
0: Exactly.
1: Exactly. This is exactly my point. It was the, it was front page news all across the United States for weeks. And now we don't even remember.
0: I know he, he doesn't do anything without a reason, right? Like he always is like, how can I benefit from this? When he shut the beaches down so that he could be on down. the beach with just his family. Exactly. But I I have a feeling he didn't like shut the bridges down so he could just drive back and forth <laughs> across the bridges. You know, Honestly, he's like, look at what he space had if I can change lanes. <laughs> if he had, I would respect it.
1: There is yeah. nothing more unsettling to me personally than being stuck in standstill traffic on a bridge, and especially a large bridge. You can feel the bridge kind of swaying with the wind. I, if I was the governor I would shut the bridge down so that I didn't have to be in that situation.
0: Yeah. But I don't I don't think that was it. I don't think so. It was probably some dumb shit like I don't know, it was politics, dude. Definitely right? something like, with like that the tolls, down like he right. wanted he wanted New Jersey to get more of the tolls or something. Yeah, or just I I feel like he maybe was trying to get back at another politician, you know, like in a sort of like retribution. The Fort Lee lane closure also known as the George
1: Washington Bridge Lane Closure Scandal. or I have, n- I, have, I have not known it as either of those first two. I just got to <laughs> say. Was, it, was a political scandal involving a staff member and political appointees of New Jersey, Governor Chris Christie, colluding to create traffic jams in Fort Lee, New Jersey, by closing lanes at the main toll plaza for the upper level of the George Washington Bridge. I don't see why he, want, he wanted to create more traffic. He said car culture hasn't gone far enough. It was later suggested that the lanes had been closed intentionally to cause the massive traffic problem for political reasons, and especially theorized that they were a retributive retributive, retributive attack against Fort Lee's mayor, Here we go. Mark Sokolich, a Democrat who had not supported Chris Christie as a candidate in the twenty thirteen New Jersey gubernatorial election. So he literally just he was like, Now you have traffic now. You didn't support me, you have traffic.
0: Yeah. I to to get back at the Democratic mayor of a town borough that has 40,000 people in it. Like you're not even playing with big fish right now. You were the it's, it's a little little dot on the map in New Jersey and he said, "You know what? I've got the power." Thank you to the
1: people who brought this this just this injustice to light. Do you think Chris Christie is um do you think he's like sort of charged with helping Steve Cohen bribe local business owners and officials in New York to help get things built like a casino for example? Or a soccer stadium, perhaps for the Saudi government. You know, any any of those things, perhaps. Maybe I do
0: feel like, like if you're trying to get further into corruption, right? If that's kind of your bread and butter. Well, I don't think Steve needs any help with that, honestly. But well, and but I also think that like baseball isn't necessarily the playing field. Like it's almost, oh, I like, see. The corruption and collusion is kind of baked in. Like it's a little too easy. That's kind of low hanging fruit, Chris Christie. If you really wanted to show us your gumption. So you think Chris Christie went the easy route? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just I'm a little disappointed. That's all. Like he clearly showed so much promise <laughs> as governor by creating more traffic. Keep, and I think he could have done more.
1: God, I got I, I feel like this story would just completely not register at all if it happened mm-hmm. in twenty twenty three. Nobody would care. Oh, he shut a lane down? All right. On to the next. What yeah? Joe Biden's shooting UFOs out of the sky. Yeah, we got right bigger here. fish to fry here. <laughs> Speaking of, by the way, following up on the unidentified flying objects of it all, of course. Uh, did you see that the United States has given up on recovering one of the objects that they shot down? Seems suspicious to me.
0: <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> really? Because I think that's really relatable. You like, get really invested in a project at the outset. Oh, we're going to shoot this down. I'm going to go find it. Maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's China. who cares? And then they like couldn't find it on first pass and they were like, Ugh. honestly, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
1: I watched the uh, 2016 film Arrival mm-hmm. um, from the sensational filmmaker Denis Villeneuve uh, for the first time a couple nights ago. Totally mm. knocked my doors off. Totally yeah. just unbelievable. I don't know how I had never seen it. I regret having never seen it for the last seven years. If you're listening to this and you're a film fan, and you haven't seen Arrival, I suggest that you go watch it. But I could not help but think as I was watching Arrival, damn, Dark Brandon would have tried to shoot these bad boys out of the sky <laughs> on site. <laughs> it's like this movie that's like deeply about being alive and the human experience and how we communicate right. with each other and how time doesn't really mean anything. And all I was thinking the whole time was like, the press conference that joe biden would give which Mm -hmm. is how you know that my brain is
0: completely broken if
1: you hadn't known from just listening to this podcast (laughs) for the last six years
0: is that is that jeremy renner is that who's in that
1: yeah jeremy renner and amy adams some fucking crazy looking aliens get in there bro you seen it yeah
0: i mean i have long time ago um most of it's left my brain right now except for the fact that jeremy renner was in it i guess (laughs)
1: Anyway, Alex, that is enough about the 2016 film Arrival and actor Jeremy Renner and, Chris, <laughs> and former New Jersey governor and Trump associate Chris Christie. We have some real stuff to get to, and that is, of course, a very serious album review of Joe, Joe West's 1987 country record, True Blue Country, Blue Cowboy, featuring first-time guest of the podcast and friend of the show, Lindsay zolads pop music critic at the new york times of course we also have some uh, some some owner business to discuss as well but before we do all of that i am bobby wagner i am alex paisley and you are listening to tipping pitches New patrons this week, Alex. Uh, turns out wh- when we said last week that no one had signed up for the Patreon and we had a little back and forth about whether we were not sure if it was something that we said, something that we did um, that worked because we got five new patrons this week. Thank you to Claire, William, Budaboo, Lorenzo, and Tyler. We much appreciate your support as we head into a new baseball season. Speaking of the Patreon, the holiday cards are finally done they are going right. out this oh, did week. You fin- did you finish yours? Yes. Uh no, not at time of recording, but at time of people <laughs> listening to this, hopefully I will have finished them. Either way, they will be sent mm-hmm. during the week of this current week. I'm off from work for an entire week. So if I don't send them now, I'm just gonna throw them in the trash. Jesus. <laughs> Stakes are high.
0: Yes, the the holiday being spring training. That's what I started writing on my card. There are a few that say right. happy holidays, and then most of them say happy spring training. A, a um, lot of
1: mine say um, whatever holiday that might be. Yep, exactly. <laughs> 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 Just kind of like unclear, you know, like, is it is it going to be pitchers and catchers? Is it going to be the first spring training game? Opening day, May Day. What are some later holidays that it could July 4th? You know, remember when we tried to make that into, you know, international baseball day on an episode? We
0: certainly tried.
1: <laughs> um, again, apologies that they're so late. But at the same time, I think next year we're just going to make them, you know, spring training, welcome to the new baseball season type holiday cards. Right. Well,
0: well, your your partner, Phoebe, uh, definitely pointed out that internally we should still uh, set a goal for sending them out around the end of the right. year so yeah. that we can actually send them out at spring training.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: and And we will
1: do that we commit to setting goals that we will miss by eight weeks. <laughs> that's the tipping pitch's promise. Um, shall we talk a little bit about a uh, friend of the podcast, near future guest of the podcast, Evan Drellick's article in The Athletic of about course. MLB's decision to form an economic reform committee. Hey. <laughs> Dog, when when in doubt, form a committee. You know Honestly, That's what they yeah. always say. When you don't know mm-hmm. what to do, Just get a couple guys together in a room and and say that you're problem-solving. Article in The Athletic that dropped, I believe, Friday or Saturday? Um, A couple days before we we record this, before time of recording. Uh, Evan Drelick is reporting that I'm discussing with Rob Manfred, this new economic reform committee that is supposedly being formed because of two different things. The first thing is economic disparity in the game between large market and small market teams. We know that this has been a thread that has been running throughout baseball history for the entire time that it has existed. Um, and the second thing is a more recent problem, which we have discussed on this show a few times. It's the Bally Sports bankruptcy, which officially went through last week. Uh, the parent company Diamond Sports Group did file for bankruptcy, which means that 19 channels, which carry 14 of the l- regional cable deals for Major League Baseball, or going bankrupt. Um, TBD, about what that means for this upcoming season, I think a lot of it is still unanswered. My guess would be that while they are going through their bankruptcy process, they will still go on business as usual, supposedly. They will broadcast those games. And should it actually go through and they dissolve the company or someone acquires the company in the because of the bankruptcy, um, that, that new company will fulfill these contractual obligations Rob has now brought up on multiple occasions that Major League Baseball might be interested in becoming that new company they might reabsorb the rights to their own games and create a digital streaming product that they can go direct to consumers with um, that's intriguing for a few reasons I don't really think I believe that they're gonna do that right right away there's like too many people to wrestle for it and also something that Evan pointed out pointed out in his article was that um, each individual MLB team owns the digital rights to their games. And so they would all have to agree to each other. This is not something that the MLB commissioner's office, the central office, could mandate these teams to be a part of. And so that's very political. I don't think that the the, the Yankees, for example, are going to be like, broadcast our games in the same place that you broadcast the Pirates for
0: the same amount of money. Right. Because because part of the rationale, as he states it behind this, is we need more centrally shared revenue, Right. Right. teams and and we can get into uh whether or not baseball teams are making money in a minute right I, I know it's uh up for debate currently right but as manfred says some teams make a lot of money and other teams it would be
1: a really it would be a really boring debate actually
0: it'd be like everybody saying actually they do make a lot of
1: money and then rob manfred would be saying actually no, they don't no, and then the don't. debate would yep. end you're like well, no, you just have to decide who you believe <laughs>
0: But, like, the, the point is to supposedly decrease the economic disparity between teams, right? So, if you're centrally broadcasting baseball games, right, and creating a national package, then again, there's a little bit more of that revenue sharing. But as you point out, teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox, who are in these big markets, who are making a pretty penny. Off their broadcast rights are not going to be interested in giving that up unless there's like a lot in it for them, like, say a salary cap. Just like like just spitballing, right? <laughs> unless it was something else that came along with it that showed that they would then not have to spend as much money as they do right now. Even then, I mean, we can get into this a little
1: bit when we talk about Rob's quotes about the salary cap. Even then, I'm not totally sure that the top, top teams would be all that enticed by a salary cap if it meant that their regional revenue stream took a hit in the near to medium future. Because, I mean, they will never admit this, but they're still making way more money than what they're spending. (laughs) So a salary cap is not, the like $30 million that the salary cap brings their total payroll down is not going to offset the fact that the Dodgers, for example, make $300 million a year from their local cable deal. And in a national digital package, that number would definitely come down in the short term if they had to give away those rights. Now, I don't I don't really think that what Rob is implying is that every team is going to cancel their or try to wiggle their way out of a regional cable subscription, just that the 14 teams who no longer would have a regional cable deal, given Bally Sports bankruptcy, would then centralize their broadcast rights. Um, digitally, to be digitally distributed and not even be on cable at all anymore, which would be weird, which would be really weird. Can you imagine if just, like, the Marlins weren't on cable at all? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, right now they aren't. <laughs> I haven't seen them. Well, okay, So, so then <laughs> but, can you imagine if the A's weren't on cable? Like, can you imagine if your mom went to go try to watch an A's game? It'd be really bizarre. And she went to the channel that the A's are usually on and they were showing, like, you know, Warriors finals games from 2017 that would be mm-hmm. really
0: weird that'd be super weird for um, people who still use cable anyway right. it's still so- alienating to like part of your customer base and and arguably the part of your customer base that might have for the longest time made up the core of your demographic right which is maybe um, older uh, folks who watch baseball and haven't necessarily committed to cutting the cord yet or just like I just watch my local sports team and that's all i need right yeah. so there is like a, there's a lot of competing interests in this which is why i think you're right that like as much as he talks a big game about wanting this to happen which i think is in large part the service to fans who have said they want this to happen i think we're still years away from anything actually coalescing around it
1: and i think that like in in rob's ideal world what would happen would be mlb would like retake they would take back the digital rights and then the television rights would still be up for sale just at a lower price to somewhere else. So whatever company comes in and replaces Ballet Sports, or even if they leave the branding the same, even if it's Ballet Sports, but it's owned by uh, CNN or whatever, like I don't know, CNN doesn't own themselves. So they're <laughs> like part of some conglomerate. If it's owned by Discovery, for example, and they want to get into the sports business game. So MLB would sell TV rights back to that company and say, but we're, all, we're keeping our digital rights. I don't know why Discovery would want that. They're like a digital company now. It's it's a whole mess, clearly. (laughs) Let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about the Economic Reform Committee. I'm going to get that right. I'm going to get that.
0: I'm going to remember that that's what it's called. Economic Reform Committee. I mean, how much do you think they had to workshop that? Because they were like, we can't call it the Collusion Committee. Like, right (laughs) off the bat. We can't call it that. So, like, let's come up with some buzzwords to, you know, masquerade a little bit what we're actually trying to achieve here.
1: Yeah. Better or worse, salary suppression committee or a solution <laughs> committee.
0: <laughs> right. What is... Uh, Rob Manfred refers to what is effectively a salary cap as, quote, absolute upward limitation on what people can spend. <laughs> oh, man. It's too stupid to parody. Right. Honestly, it is too stupid to parody. Not not convinced that chat gpt is not the commissioner of baseball i'm just (laughs) gonna say that that's all um
1: the lining our pockets committee Mm -hmm. the extracting more money out of the game committee am i getting colder or warmer what do you think
0: i it depends on whether you actually want the fans to know what you're doing or not i
1: don't (laughs) know because you're achieving one of those goals the economic reform committee which is made up of four owners Mark Walter of the Dodgers. He is the control person for the Dodgers. That is a large ownership group made up of many people who have done many, many bad things in different industries and wanted to get into baseball because they felt that that was an easier place to do bad things and get away with it. Chris Illich, the son of Mike Illich, the guy who actually wanted to buy the Tigers and run the Tigers. And Chris Mm -hmm. Illich is just here for the, for the checks. John Henry. Heard of him. Just him and his Lima bean futures are in there to offer some perspective and of course, you can't have an economic reform committee without Dick Monfort. Mm-hmm. Dick the Monfort. The voice of reason in the room. The guy who just really understands how to put the right baseball product on the field, Dick Monfort. He's running a tight ship over there. Um, and they, like I said, they're gathering to talk about two things. The first thing, economic disparity in the game. The second thing, bankruptcy. Obviously, Bankruptcy of Valley Sports. Obviously, those, these things are related. And Rob talked to Evan about this in the article article in the description if you would like to read the whole thing they talked about how this was sort of the trojan horse for this conversation was ballet sports going out of out of business because who is this going to affect the most it's going to affect the 14 teams which are broadcasting with ballet sports currently and none of those teams are the biggest market teams not it's not the mets it's not the yankees it's not the red Sox, it's not the dodgers is there anybody I'm forgetting who's a big, big, big market team? I think that's everybody. Cubs. It's not the Phillies, not the Cubs. All of them, them sort of own either own their whole whole television channel, or are broadcasting with a, a more more regional sports network that is not a conglomerate of regional channels the way that Valley Sports is. But really, what this is this is this was an entree into trying to get a salary cap in the next CBA. And Evan says as much, basically. He, and even Rob kind of confirms as much. She's talking about the next CBA, even though we're only one year removed from the previous CBA. And so I read this and I was like, I was tempted to text Michael Bauman and be like, see, so remember when I was really pessimistic on the state of labor in baseball? And you were like, actually, things are okay. I kind of feel like I was justified now.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> things are always bad, right? Like the, the ownership player dynamic is always going to be acrimonious to a certain extent, right? And, and what's interesting about this is it adds a new dimension to that in owner versus owner versus player, which is in no small part what contributed to the strike of 94, right? Because owners were not able to get on the same page about what they wanted from players, which gave players a certain amount of leverage. And I, as, as Evan points out in the article, I think Rob realizes this and that when the next CBA comes up, he needs the owners in line, right? You don't want back-to-back lockouts. You, or, or another more costly work stoppage. Strikes, as are known. Um, right, the owners don't, are, are never going to let that sort of thing happen, right? And Rob Manfred's doing his best to make sure that when they come to the table in 2026... They're on the same page. And I think it's really interesting that we're kind of at this period of time where owners are more publicly kind of like sniping at each other than we've seen in like recent years, recent decades. Which makes me, I mean, that's kind of a let them fight thing for me. You know, Definitely. like like go for it um, and we'll reap the benefits of that disarray over
1: there. I mean, to your point, obviously the article centers much around steve cohen who is who along with the mets is blowing through the top luxury tax which you know i the owners didn't get a salary cap in 1994 but then they colluded for two decades in order to treat the top tax number like a salary cap and so functionally speaking they've basically had what they were they wanted for a while and in the article you know Rob talks about how there's a lot of new owners who have come in. And so there's sort of less. I don't know how else to say this besides collusion. There is less coalition. Among right, there's these less
0: institutional like debt. Basically, yes. Right? There's
1: there's Steve Cohen coming in spending more than anybody else. There's John Middleton, who had a quote just a couple of days ago talking about when he was asked about the Phillies payroll and his commitment to winning. He said, how much money did the 27 Yankees make or the 29 A's or the 75, 76 big red machine? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Nobody knows or cares whether any of them made any money or not. And nobody cares about whether I make money or not. If my legacy is that I didn't lose any money owning a baseball team on an annual operating basis, that's a pretty sad legacy. It's about putting trophies in the cases. Straight that kind of stuff, Fucking veins. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I mean, it clearly is freaking other owners out. On one hand, I'm like, yes, you know, I'm sure Jerry Reinsdorf is telling everybody who will listen, I told you so, about these these other owners and what they're saying and how they're acting and what they're spending. But kind of at the same time, I believe I've made this case before, but Steve Cohen or John Middleton are just providing these owners the cover to publicly, more publicly do stuff like this, create an economic reform committee where it's obviously a trial balloon for something like a salary cap to see how it's received. And the PA is not going to receive it well, and they know this. The PA is never going to agree to this without some sort of apocalyptic event, like a year-long lockout or something like that. And they know they don't have the political capital for that, but if they start to float these things four or five years in advance and Steve Cohen and John Middleton keep spending $100 million above the quote-unquote Cohen tax, I think that they probably feel like they can get people on board. I think they probably feel like, well, this actually has gotten so ridiculous. Steve Cohen is spending $300 million more than the Oakland A's. But clearly the problem is not what Steve Cohen and John Middleton are spending because they have it to spend. Clearly the problem is that the A's are spending so little. And even Rob kind of admits as much while lying his way through this, right? Rob says, quote, The reality is you got to solve your revenue disparity problem before you can even think about a cap. We're so disparate right now that it's almost hard to make, and I mean literally, the math of a salary cap work. you got to be at a certain level to get an agreement with the players. You start thinking about minimums and maximums, you know, all of a sudden, you're talking about minimums, We have some clubs where, dot, 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 he said without finishing the thought. Really funny that Evan left that in there, that Rob Mm -hmm. couldn't even get himself to say that we have some clubs that don't make the minimum. Yeah. But a salary cap comes with a salary floor. A salary floor is going to be, by the time they're willing to talk about it, five years from now, I don't know, 120, 140, 150. Like, they proposed a soft floor, soft cap at the beginning of the lockout last year. And the soft floor was 100 and the soft cap was 180. Obviously, those numbers are garbage. But if you use those as a very wide ballpark, that means that next time around, that soft floor is going to need to be 50% higher than that because of inflation and because of the increased revenue into the game. That means 150. You know how many teams are under 150 right now? 12 teams. That's almost half the league. Mm -hmm. That would be under the theoretical cap. That the theoretical floor that they want, that owners are claiming to want. And so, is is it better to have a a cap? Or is it better for them to just keep allowing the bottom teams to just be hilariously lower than what they could be spending? And just keep letting whoever the fuck owns the top three or four teams do whatever they want. The problem is they need to signal to the public like there is still parity because there is something important to the idea that fans feel like they could win. Yeah. Because otherwise, then the animosity will start going towards John Fisher, the Dolans, the Nuttings, like the, these teams who are not willing to be even close to competitive and not willing to pretend like they are.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting that Manfred's point here isn't even about competitive balance. It's about economic balance, right? It's that some teams are making less money than other teams. And that's a problem. Maybe not to you, maybe not to me, but to a dozen billionaires, that makes a difference, right? And so like, so I think that's a really important thing to, to kind of grab here too, is that they're not even couching it in this idea that this will make the sport more equal on the baseball field. It's those those Capital One accounts are going to look a lot more similar (laughs) at the end of the day. Right. And and Evan brings up the um, the last time Major League Baseball did this sort of thing um, under Bud Selig back in 2000 when he uh, put together this blue ribbon panel that came up with a report to basically address what he saw as competitive disparity. Right. That was heavily linked to economic disparity. And that was a really influential group. It really influenced the outcome of the next fused collective bargaining agreements, right? Because the owners effectively got on the same page, right? Yeah. And and it wasn't even just owners, right? These are people from the world of, of politics and journalism. I mean, it was really a hodgepodge of people. But the gist of it is that, like, they made pretty radical reforms to the league's economic structure. And it's hard not to see that as a sort of precursor for this sort of thing. There's a really, there's a really interesting piece in the Sabre Baseball Research Journal that came out in 2018 that looked at the effectiveness of this blue ribbon panel. Did, mm. it, did it bring more economic parity and did it bring more competitive parity? And to a certain extent, the economic parity was was there now, maybe not all the way, right, but that that gap between the the big teams and the small teams started to close just a little bit. Did it change competitiveness what do you think did it did it uh did it make more parity among among teams like i'm mean, like no the, that's the never problem
1: the problem is it. that it didn't make more parity because it just whenever they change the economics of baseball to like lower the range between the top and bottom teams, what they do is they make the top teams worse. <laughs> but they're still better. <laughs> they're still mm-hmm. better than the teams that are not spending any money and not trying. Right, so like, and you're still th- not incentivizing those, those
0: small teams to spend.
1: There is a ther- certain threshold that you have to go above if you want to compete for a World Series, period. And for most teams, for most teams, there's a certain threshold that you have to go above to even make the playoffs. Obviously, there's more variance in that. It's less reliable, the correlation between payroll and making the playoffs. But the correlation between payroll and winning the World Series is high. (laughs) Very high. If you plot it league-wide, not just between the two teams that are playing each other in the World Series. Because by that point, you've made the World Series. And so it's like you have more or less a coin flip chance of winning it, give or take 5%. But like, you're not going to create more parity in the game by telling the better teams to be worse. You're going to create more parity in the game by telling the worst teams to try harder. Mm-hmm. And that's not like a fact. That's my opinion, right? But if if every team at the bottom there was pushing all of the teams at the top, then it would push the teams in the middle to try to be better, which would make the teams at the top have to fend off the middle teams who who are bleeding talent because they're not willing to pay a premium for the best players in the game. And so the best players in the game we've seen have, been concentrated more and more to a handful of teams who are actually willing to extend them and sometimes those teams aren't even the top teams sometimes the red sox trade mookie bets to get under the luxury tax i i look at this article and i look at this idea of it, of the economic reform committee and obviously it's like too premature to really talk about what the impact of something like this might turn out to be and i don't think that the pa is just going to like roll over and give them a salary cap four years from now i don't think that that will ever happen but i understand more and more why the mobpa executive committee voted unanimously to reject the last cba and of course it went through because the the 30 team representatives all voted for it with the exception of the i think the mets and yankees team representatives not vote for it but everybody else did vote for it and so But I look at that and I say, okay, the executive committee, who is actually in the room negotiating this deal, thinks that this is somewhat of an appeasement deal, so that both sides can come out of this with with less responsibility on their hands, with less blame on their hands to the public, to the fans, who are pissed about this lockout. And a a certain percentage of fans believes that the lockout is both sides' fault. Us not among that section of fans, of course. The listeners of tipping pitches likely not among that section of fans but when i see this when i see them putting together a committee basically to try to figure out how to get the owners more money that is essentially what this is it's not trying to figure out how to get the players more money or to to, to lower the disparity between players right because the disparity between players comes from pre-arbitration and salary minimums and and arbitration and the lack of being able to get to free agency. Earlier, Which, suspiciously, was not in this economic reform committee's bullet list of things mm-hmm. to talk about. So, clearly this is a way to get the owners making more money without them actually admitting that. And I'm like, honestly, probably they, we did go a little light on them in this last CBA. There's more money in it for certain types of players. We've seen more of the superstar deals, the longer deals. We've seen decent mid-market deals for guys. Because of the added economic security of no longer being in a lockout or no longer having an expiring CBA coming up on the horizon. But in terms of long term, the battle between labor and management, it feels like management has been empowered now to try to go through this once every 30 year cycle where they
0: blow up the structure entirely and win once and for all. There, There's a lot of ire being directed towards Steve Cohen and the Mets right now. But I think the owners should be far more pissed at Peter Seidler and the Padres. I just want to say, because what they are doing, what Steve Cohen is doing is coming in, saying, I'm going to play by your rules, right? I'll pay your tax, I'll do whatever. Um, I just happen to have more money and I'm going to spend it, right? And the owners don't like that because it flies in the face of how most teams have operated over the course of baseball's history, right? But what Seidler has done is effectively disprove a lot of the claims made by Manfred and ownership, right? That it's, that it's not profitable to run a baseball team and that it's really, really hard to take a small market team and turn it into a big market team, right? For the first five years of Seidler's tenure as the owner, the Padres were, if you remember, not very good. And they did not spend a lot of money. Right, and then Seidler woke up and said, "Actually, I want to sign every player." <laughs> <laughs> and and I think a lot of fans, rightly so, are like, "How how did he how did he do that?" Yeah. So so if he can do that, not just fans, <laughs> other
1: executives in the and industry, other executives too, anonymously yes. sourced other executives in the industry feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I also like. It just pokes a lot of holes, right, in the logic of Mm -hmm. what Rob would like you to believe, what owners would like you to believe, because it's a logical fallacy. So if Steve Cohen is spending $370 million, owners would have you believe that teams don't actually make that much, that no team really makes that much money, $370 million to be able to put towards payroll, because otherwise all the big market teams would go up that high. and because teams are not making that much quote unquote, if we accept that, then Steve Cohen must be spending his own personal money to be able to run a payroll of $370 million. Now, I don't know if Steve Cohen is spending his own personal money. I have no idea because I have never seen the books of the New York Mets. My guess is if he is spending his own personal money, probably not that much of it, to be honest, but they can't admit either way. Like they're, they, they're, the box that they have built for themselves requires that nobody expose the fact that there is this much money to be thrown around in the game. Because if they admit that Steve Cohen is spending more money because he has more money to spend, because he's a billionaire fourteen times over, then you start looking around and you're like, John Fisher is a billionaire seven times over. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Paul Dolan is a billionaire five times over, and these guys are spending so little. <laughs> so I I don't know. It's just.
0: Logical inconsistency everywhere. Rob, once again, open invite if you would like to come explain yourself. You can finish that sentence that you were unable to when talking to Evan. Please tell us. Tell us why the, the the salary floor would be tough right now.
1: I know he's a friend of the show, Evan. Not Rob. Rob might be a friend of the show in the future but not right now. He's currently as far as we know he doesn't know the show exists.
0: Right. But what I know are Evan, the degrees of separation you think between us and Manfred like one, like one, right? Like us to Evan, Evan to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I <can't. laughs>
1: but I was gonna say, I, I know Evan is a friend of the show, and I know he's gonna come on in a week and talk about his book, Winning Fixes Everything. But aside from that, I think he's a tremendous reporter and mm-hmm. a tremendous writer because he does stuff like that where he's like, Rob did not finish his sentence. <laughs> He trailed off in the middle of the thought where he was trying to justify the fact that teams at the bottom can't hit a salary minimum. It's like, well, without saying that he was lying, he's kind of implying that that yep. logic doesn't really stand up to scrutiny. And we don't really have reporters like that anymore. We don't have reporters that are willing to assemble the facts in a way that uh, that trusts the reader to put them together and understand the economic picture that the reporter can see that is deeper and more detailed than the one that Rob Manfred is willing to put out publicly.
0: Yeah, although I think we have more reporters now than doing that than we probably did 30, 40 years ago, right? Definitely. When it was just kind of accept the wisdom, right? And so I really appreciate guys like Evan um, and, and the plethora of journalists out there who are happy to tell it like it is, right? Who are far less dependent on Major League Baseball, too, for access that they can actually... Speak what's on their mind
1: Alright let's take a quick break And when we come back One of the more absurd endeavors That we've done on the podcast in a while We are going to give a full on album review Of 1987's Blue Cowboy By Cowboy Joe West As this silver horse Takes me o'er the prairie I can't forget the nights I spent with you Okay, we are now joined by friend of the show, serious music critic, Lindsey Zolads, to talk about some serious music in the baseball mm-hmm. world, a serious figure in the baseball world, less in the baseball world than he used to be, although he made headlines last week. It's Cowboy Joe West. First of all, Lindsay, hi. Thanks for doing hi.
2: this. How are you? I'm honored. My first Tipping Pitches appearance. I, I've been this is my whole life.
0: Yeah, well we kind of have too this is something that bobby and i've talked about we you know like like what is the right moment right what is the right kind of crossover right and when we spent 50 dollars on a joe west album uh from just Dis, Disco- as in you okay,
1: did okay, it and you texted me and said and i just like, bought this is that okay and i was like what am i supposed to do? have you send it <laughs> right. back
0: yeah that's it's fine
2: 50 dollars. No. wow right
0: they're like they're like Chanel bags, you know? They just go up in price like yeah, over time. Yeah, was going to say
2: it's going to appreciate in value. So, <laughs> it's right. a smart investment. It's, it's This fine. is an
1: asset, not a liability, as Alex Rodriguez would put it. Owning this,
0: <laughs> owning this album.
1: You wait, you bought the CD, right? Not the record? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. No, the record would have been it.
0: cooler. I would have bought the record if I could could have found it.
1: It would have been a lot harder to transfer to MP3 version to share with our guest here. <laughs> um, which we did do, and we all I assume did listen to the entire joe west album blue
2: cowboy yes we did or i i did and yeah. suffered yeah. through it well uh, let I me give some... the, the extra credit too and listen to his spoken word album which we'll get to but oh <laughs> you're my quite God. the
1: achiever alex and i have listened to that and discussed it on the podcast before if, if listeners have been around for a long time um before i get your take let me just remind the listeners joe west longest tenured umpire in major league baseball history I, i'm pretty sure um also moonlights you know, much like, much like Nick's owner, James Dolan, moonlights in the music scene outside of his sports on-field career. Um, and he wrote an album, wrote, performed, sang an album called Blue Cowboy. This was released in 1987 on vinyl. It was um, part of Colonial Records, which is based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Colonial Records, also uh, the record label of Andy Griffith, George Hamilton, John Loudermilk, and Crash Craddock. Uh, a controversial source, Joe West's Wikipedia page, <laughs> lets us know that. Um, Joe West described his music as, and listeners will remember this, two chords and the truth. It's simple. It tells a story. Um, he's performed at the Grand Old Opry. He's performed with uh, Merle Haggard, Mickey Gilly, Johnny Lee. Some some real names in country music. He's like actual
0: accolades, you know? Like this isn't a cute little pet project. Like he was eight years into his umpiring career at this point and then hooked up with Merle Haggard's fiddle player. Like fucking sure, you know? Like what? Exactly. So we wanted to take this
1: album, we wanted to give it the critical weight, the critical seriousness that it deserves because of this long. Storied resume, and so we got a real a real music critic from the New York Times, LZ. What what did you think? What did you think of the album?
2: Wow, where to begin? (laughs) I mean, so the first question that I had, you know, was was how did this happen? How did this get made? What was going on? What was the context? You know, which is what I would ask myself in writing any album review. And as you said, Bobby, this record comes out in 1987 so the context there is that joe west had just made his appearance in the naked gun in like the funniest baseball scene in a movie ever he makes a cameo 1986 the naked gun comes out joe west i'd imagine is feeling himself because he's in a hit movie has like one speaking line (laughs) he's like there's nothing i can't do uh, so he cuts around.
1: Are you saying that he was at his apex mountain,
2: Lindsay? Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know if, if uh, that's the terminology that I'm allowed to use, but <laughs> I think he was certainly he was feeling himself. That's that's what I'll say. Uh, so you know, there's a certain like invincibility to him at this moment. There are, I think. It's So it's a mix of covers and songs that he wrote. And I tried to... A few of the songs I was not familiar with, I think there are three that he wrote himself. I put it on and was like, I'm going to try to guess which ones (laughs) Joe West wrote. And I'm pretty sure that I went three for three. It's not that hard because it's two chords and the truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... (laughs) There's just a lot going on here. I think I actually, my two favorite songs were the instrumentals because he's not <laughs> singing on them. Uh, there's a rousing instrumental rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game that yes. he really has nothing Which to do with, and I you actually kind of he
0: kind of snapped on that
1: one. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, like, I, when when the beat drop on "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" because "Take Me Out" the, it plays like three times. It's basically just you know "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" is like a 40 second song. It's, and it's like a he, he does like so, a jam band rendition, yeah, right? Like so it. he loops it back, right? A very traditional version to start out. the "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" and then the beat drops, and there's like the the rock and country version. And, and I was like, going. I started levitating out of my body when that happened. And it was all downhill from there. And that's the, you're just waiting for his voice song? to come in too. Right. And
2: <laughs> and it doesn't. And that's the best part of it. Right. Well, um,
1: he, he presumes that we all know the words to take me out to the ball game.
2: Yeah. You're just singing along at home. Uh, I'm trying to think like what the worst moments are. And it's really, it's like everything that's not that it's all of the ones where he's singing. It's, I found it harder. So, like, he, there's a couple... Like, he does he does a cover of Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to be Cowboys. Thought it was sure a missed does. opportunity not to say Mamas Don't Let Your Babies grow up to be umpires. Mm. That's, that's a free idea, Joe, that's out there. Um, Don't encourage
0: him. Yeah, for LP3. <laughs>
2: but I guess that also brings up this point that there is nothing about baseball on this particular record, too. He... He is the blue cowboy of the title. And I think you sort of think like, is that, is he going to tie in baseball and umpiring to that somehow? Oh no, he's, he's a sad cowboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he misses his family and his lady. I think he uses the phrase "making love in yes. that song. And I, okay, that, an important that question that a... I had written
1: down that I was going to wait a little while to warm yeah. the listeners up a little more, but because you're bringing it up now, Lindsay, my question is why is he so horny? On this and there's the like, spoken word on album. both albums, he's so he's, horny.
2: He's horny on Maine. He's horny on spoken word. Uh, the first two songs are like weirdly horny too. There's yes. like a there's a duet with a female singer who wisely is not credited. She can just <laughs> pretend like this never happened and doesn't have her name attached to this in any way. But yeah, there's there's kind of a weird horny ballad. Uh, yeah. You get a sense he's like really. You know, I think part of him, like, envisioning himself as this cowboy is he thinks, you know, he's like, I spend my life on the road and I'm away from my family and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> you're an umpire. <laughs> like, you're not, you know, doing it, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a weird, really disturbing element of of horniness. There's no other way to say it. Uh
0: yeah, I'm even on even on 2008's Diamond Dreams, right? Are hmm. the the spoken word classic Diamond Dreams? There's <laughs> yeah. there's one song that is actually sung, and yes. it's and it's just about how he can't stop checking out uh women at the ballpark and is right. it, reprimanded by yeah. tight shorts, <laughs> right. exactly,
1: yeah. the tight shorts. Yeah, yes. yeah he loves I, the curves, yes. mm-hmm. and that his wife is going to kick him out to the to the curb if he doesn't stop.
2: He's going to be out at home. That's it. <laughs> exactly. I mean. Honestly, not the worst uh bit of writing. <laughs> <has> <laughs> nice little turn,
1: of, yeah, nice little turn of phrase there by, by our man Cowboy Joe. Yeah.
2: Um
1: Alex, you and I were talking. There's a there's a song on this album called You Can't Run with the Big Dogs.
2: would yes, seventh let's track. Go there. Yeah, let's, let's go there. Let's go there. It's <laughs> the
1: seventh track out of eleven <laughs> tracks. Okay, I listened to this song. I gotta be honest, it's maybe the worst song I've ever heard in my life. And <laughs> and I mean it. Easily the worst song I've heard in the last decade. I texted you. I said, I don't know how you make a song that bad. I'm going to play a little bit of it here for the please, listeners. Please, No, I don't hear your sad stories. So you think that I'm crazy. So don't tell me about your labor pains. Just show me the baby. Don't
2: that was the one where I was like, I was like doing something else, had it on it. And I, within like 10 seconds, I was like, oh, he wrote this one. Yep. <laughs> yes. He wrote this.
0: I heard the line, uh, uh, don't tell me about your labor pains, just show me the baby. And I was, I stopped in my tracks. I stopped what I was doing.
2: Bob Dylan could never.
1: (laughs) Okay, so it It was bad enough that he wrote his own songs and put them on here and they were that bad. But Alex, I know you are a, a, a big Willie Nelson fan and runs in your family. You were given Willie Nelson as a kid. You chose Mama's Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys as one of your 10 favorite songs ever made when we did this exercise a couple of years ago in our friend group right. we all shared our 10 favorite songs made one big playlist out of it it's pure chaos i don't recommend doing it with your friends it's not a good listen however we did get to learn our 10 favorite songs of our of each other
2: That's and
1: weird. uh that was one of your songs the willie nelson version not not the cowboy joe west version which you didn't hear until a couple of days ago how how personally offended were you by this cover of the song
0: well yeah he he likes to really um he he does a lot of shout-outs across these albums, right? He's shouting out country stars left and right, right? Merle Haggard, obviously, I mean, he gets a he gets a shout-out multiple times. Um and I mean the surprising thing is that I was not more offended by this song be, I think because I was kind of distracted by everything else going on around it. Like I was like, he didn't he didn't write it. And and the arrangements that he's doing on this album are relatively straightforward, right? They're just yeah. regular kind of country songs like if like if I didn't know who this was by I'd be like wow this is a bad country album okay let's let's move along right I mean and when I hear uh Blue Cowboy the title track which opens the album I was like okay you know what I this is not the worst song I've ever heard he's got a bit of the Bakersfield sound in there right you can see you can see the references uh okay let's let's give this a shot and and it really only gets worse from there (laughs) so it it definitely hurt a little bit, but I think I'm more hurt by the overall exercise than anything else.
2: The the Merle Haggard covered hurt me personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's the worst vocal, maybe on the whole record. Sing me back home is just like, and we're getting. I think it's like track nine, so he's like kind of just running out of steam <laughs> at that point. And I I actually found the covers. I was gonna say I found the covers to be more painful than the original material, but I'm gonna stop myself and not like they can both be right. <laughs> equally painful in their own ways. Um but the We can the hold vocal, two ideas in our head, guys. It, we can exactly. not, we can Yes, we, we contain multitudes just like Cowboy Joe West. Um yeah, there's he he just goes out of tune at times like it's really he perhaps could have benefited from auto tune, which did not mm-hmm. yet exist when right, this record yeah. came out. So maybe uh, we'll cut him some slack there. Question and mark? But maybe yeah.
1: he needed like the Glyn Johns mix. You know, like the Get Back documentary with yeah. Glyn Johns Honestly, in the studio. Need, like mixing we need it the up Get Back
2: him. of Blue Cowboy. <laughs> Please <Like>, would <laughs> watch the eight hour just
1: that would break us. I mean, we'd do like the tipping pitches live stream of that. Mm-hmm. Like we, we'd be doing director's commentary, criterion style. Like we would do it all. I mean, um, just to
2: say he's not working on that in his retirement. It right. would be a great use of his time.
1: Maybe that's yeah. why he retired. The album does have a distinctly similar feel to his umpiring. Where, like, as the game goes on, he's like, get him out of here. He's out. Ball's like a foot <laughs> off the plate. He's like, nope, we're done. By the ninth song, he's just like, we're not going to do another take of this. This is just how it's going to sound.
2: What are the three songs that he wrote just to confirm? It's Blue Cowboy, Yes.
0: You Can't Run with the Big Dogs, and Take This Bike to Tommy, which is like (sighs) his kind of the the ballad about his son. However, the sixth song on the album is called Don't It Make You Want to Go Home.
1: That is by someone called Joe South. Who is Joe South? (laughs) Is that a real person? He is a real person. He is a real musician.
2: (laughs) Joe East.
1: Is there a Joe? Okay, I see I see a real there's a real Joe South that we can we can verify he is real.
2: What if Joe South is like his his alter ego, his Chris Gaines, which is already, (laughs) you know, Cowboy Joe West is already the Chris Gaines of Joe West, but maybe Joe South (laughs) is like a hard time keeping track of this. (laughs) (laughs) When he's getting like real horny on Maine. Well, and then and then there's a
0: there's a, there's a song later that's by like a Clayton West and I looked it up and I did a lot of digging and this is also another artist, but I just gotta know what's going on here right, with like you little choice. He would only work
1: with people who shared one of his two names.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> Can we talk about the Tommy song for a second too? Because yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: that like that's him trying to do sort of like like a Dolly Parton tear jerker ballad yes. game. About Story like, a kid song. who
1: who loses his bike, but it's really about how, you know, he he's, yeah, I, I don't like, even remember, like he's lost from at home first, or something. I thought,
2: I thought it was going to be like about him missing his son on the road. <laughs> about how <laughs> there's another song about him uh, missing his wife on the road, which we'll just leave there. But he, it's like this guy, I think he's driving a truck, he's away from his son, Tommy, he buys him a bicycle and then he gets in like a deadly car <laughs> and and his dying words are like telling the cop like get this bike to Tommy so i can only assume this is a work of fiction because <laughs> Joe West thankfully still walks among us but like that really took a turn that i was not expecting and definitely in like you can really see i think the particular like genre Tropes that he's trying to work in here again, like there's a long history of sort of the the country weepy ballad yes. um, but this one, I don't know if it belongs anywhere near the better practitioners of of that lineage it's It's rough, but it is it was probably the most like genuinely jaw dropping song for me on this <laughs> okay. record it's it's bonkers it's he tried he really. Alex, what yeah, is our? It's a
1: crazy jump scare. What that, is our yeah. bike that we need to take to Tommy? Like, what is our effort that we're doing out in the world here, metaphorically speaking?
0: That's deep. That's a. I mean, I mean, we're spreading the good word right now of Cowboy Joe West. I think that is that so is the the bike. Joe that West we carry. is the to-
1: is the bike, and the listeners are the Tommy. Uh, the Tommy.
2: Yeah. Right. Okay. And hopefully, we're not the narrator of that song, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> because. Sounds like we're, As an, we're At cooked. least he
2: lives to tell the cop. I mean, Joe S. loves cops, and the military he is sure another thing that man, we get does. from his uh, recorded output.
1: Maybe that's a good opportunity to start talking about Diamond Dreams, the extra credit assignment that we you know gave I you, Lindsay, to.
0: coming in here. Real, real, real quick, one last thing on Blue Cowboy, because there's something in the liner notes that I just like...
2: Oh, yeah, please please. Tell us more about the liner notes. <laughs>
0: right, I did. I did read them. I was very curious. Uh, he does have a. He has a couple of his. Uh, I don't know baseball writers who write a testimonial for him, saying he's an amazing musician. Which I, if I wanted someone to tell me I was an amazing musician, I wouldn't go to baseball writers. But that's just me. Um, Why well, right, baseball writers have great taste? They all just love Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> um, but there is a note on here that says special backup vocal on uh, Luckenbach, Texas. By Steve, so near the notes, so many times, Turek. And then there's an asterisk, and it says in the interest of quality control, you'll note the song Luckenbach, Texas was deleted from this album.
2: Whoa! <laughs> so he's tra- a
0: transparent king. who said, "Hey, we worked on this song, but it's being left in the vault. You know, it'll be it'll come out when he does his re-records." Yeah, right, Taylor's a Taylor's
2: ver- Joe Joe's, Joe's version. version of Joe's yeah. version. Love it,
1: cjw's C- 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 version <laughs> uh, wait actually
0: that's that reminds wild me.
2: that's actually a wild <laughs> note
0: to include in the letter <laughs> like he only put that in so he could get the duncan on his friend yeah like who like, who, like doesn't hit the notes which is i would really i rich. would
2: argue joe west also so near the note so often <laughs> but or I, um, however he raises it yeah that's a that's Again, I thought like he was on his high horse in 1987. Like he mm-hmm. could feel no pain. And the reigning World Series champs were the New York Mets at that time. So, like, you know, just putting that out there. Thought of that. So, so if the Mets
1: win the World Series, what you're saying is we are going to get another Joe West album. That's
2: exactly what I'm That's saying. That's the precipitating
1: yes. event. for. So, for another
2: reason to root for the New York Mets.
1: Another mm-hmm. reason for me to have anxiety about the Mets not doing it, because then I can't go my whole life without getting another Joe West
0: album. Once I again, know. this is this is his Taylor Swift Giants relationship, right? Mm. The the even year bullshit, mm. which which I suppose was was eventually uh, debunked. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, debunked. Although I think that I I have to think that Taylor had a had a had a hand in that, but that's a discussion for another time. She yeah. became
1: um, too prolific. She was like, the Giants are holding me back. This Gabe Kapler nonsense. I can't <laughs> exactly. do it. I can't. I just can't. <laughs>
2: Well, I'll come back uh, for that
1: discussion some other time. In <laughs> but, the uh, in the liner notes, it also says that this was recorded at Soundmasters Recording Studio in Houston. And a quick Google search um, reveals that the top hit when you search Soundmasters Recording Studio in Houston is MapQuest.com, which is a bad sign for our friends over <laughs> at Soundmasters. I don't know if they're still working. Um, I'm going their Yelp page. No reviews. Wow, uh. that's unfortunate. Maybe that we can do an episode there. It's uh, unclaimed and closed according to Yelp, but maybe we can revive it, Alex. Maybe we can have our own little Soundmasters studio. That'd be
0: if we like purchased the lot where this album was recorded and set up our recording studio. I there, don't want the lot; I want the whole
1: studio, bro. Hey, well, exactly. Yes, it doesn't yeah. sound
0: that bad. We could get some good sound out of that.
2: Yeah, you just gotta <laughs> gotta get like a plaque for where. Where Cowboy Joe was standing. Right, <laughs> exactly. When he recorded like Little the Star on the ground. His Seminal <laughs> <Yeah>. album.
1: <laughs> okay, let's talk about Diamond Dreams. Diamond Dreams comes out in 2008. It is a spoken word album. There is one recorded musical song on this album. Uh, the entire album is 36, 38 minutes and 24 seconds. Um, I think 16 of that. Extra innings, extra innings. 18, 18 minutes and 10 seconds of that is in, a, in the spoken word. S- song installation called Extra D- Innings performance art piece him, what it sounds like him sitting at a table of his friends or fellow umpires telling one-liners he's paying
2: to laugh at his jokes telling maybe, one-liners them, telling
1: jokes telling one- knock-knock jokes most about his most of time. them not
2: even about baseball not even related to baseball just like telling like a joke about his brother or something and his and making fun of his brother's wife his right. brother's second wife Former English teacher, just be glad you don't know what we're talking about.
1: (laughs) It's really highlights and lowlights of Diamond Dreams.
2: Um. Well, you brought up a really good question just from the jump of the cover art, which you know is very, uh, very graphic design is my passion. Vibes. There's like a sleeping child overlay on the. It's like overlay of a baseball field and like a little child sleeping and you know you brought up the point bobby that joe west uh a bit too old to have like a high res digital photo of himself as a child sleeping yes. so whose child is this is is the first question and like i hope it's a grandson but could it be just a stock photo of a it, child like it has you know? getty images energy to it does to me. it does so that's- I spent
0: like 20 minutes searching. Like, <laughs> like searching variations of, of boy, baseball, sleeping on glove. <laughs> no results. Did you use Bing? I should have used Bing. You should have used Bing. You should have described our
1: problem to Bing. Mm-hmm. This segment sponsored by Microsoft and the impending singularity that will kill us all.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but it's overlaid.
1: It's overlaid of a picture of him standing With his hands on his hips, yes, staring out at an empty baseball Mm -hmm. field.
2: Joe S. Pose. Yeah, it's so it it begins. I was sort of live texting you guys like as I was listening to this earlier. And I, you know, the first few songs are him kind of, you know, waxing poetic about the game and the beauty and the poetry of the game, and sort of trying to be like a very poor man's Roger Angel or something. Uh, I said to you guys, like, how much does Joe West wish that he had narrated Ken Burns' baseball? Like, it's got that kind of energy, except he laughs at, like, all his jokes, too. That's (laughs) very... uh, That's, like, a pretty off-putting part of this. And, you know, I was thinking, too, like...
1: I think it's on-putting, personally. I like the laughs. I think I'm going to cut together a compilation of all the laughs and play it here for everybody.
2: Honestly, that that might be the best Joe West track. It's just... (laughs) Just the compilation of the laughs. (laughs) It's like the guy says, Well, I could ride that horse like Clint Eastwood. Well, you can't. I mean, Clint Eastwood's Clint Eastwood. You're never going to look like Clint Eastwood on that horse. (laughs) Yeah, there's that. This was another one where the existential question of, like, why does this exist and who does it exist for was, was coming up a lot because I think there, Obviously, are like just like old guys in baseball that I would listen. To. I'd listen to a spoken album or spoken word album of like Dusty Baker talking about the game. You know that would mm-hmm. like that'd be cool, but an umpire like nobody wants to hear that. Let alone Joe West right. being that umpire. Like it's like two levels of just derangedness to me that to think that like anyone would want to hear his reflections on the game, like truly one of the most universally hated people like associated with major league baseball, who is still alive. Like it's, it's wild to me. So the, the kind of like jokey, jovial, I'm laughing at my jokes. Part of it, like really struck me as particularly deranged because like who wants that from, from a famous umpire like yeah. no one who roots for any team does. I have Everyone has a reason to be mad at Joe
0: <laughs> He knew he wanted a podcast like you know, fifteen years ago, and he just didn't know what that outlet was like. Right? Did Joe he was S like,
2: invent the podcast on this record. Is that what you're <laughs> suggesting? <laughs> <laughs> my,
0: the Earth is is shaking beneath my feet right now. I don't know what's up. Um, I
1: I think that there were other podcasts going by that time. I'm googling first podcast. <laughs> That's crazy. What comes up is the first episode of Tipping Pitches, the first podcast ever made. Wow. That's insane. Mm. Um, Congrats, guys. He, this is basically a podcast, though. I I had that feeling the entire time that I was listening to this. It's it's him talking over what can only be described as bad piano music, like really bad, like right. wistful piano music that's not really like any of his other music. It would be like if the whole Tipping Pitches podcast, we were just playing like a Fallout Boy bass line underneath it. The entire hour long podcast.
2: It's really rough. There's like a Casio preset vibe to it. And <laughs> yeah. I think one of the most baffling things about this record for me is I the guy who is doing... I don't know if it's all of the piano stuff because I think it's specifically the long piano in like in the very long 18 minute song but this guy um, unbelievable choice to play piano under that entire section the like whole, unbelievable. the whole time but it's this guy Kent Goodson who
0: mm-hmm. was
2: actually like played piano with George Jones and w- is like a session guy um, so Joe West like called in a favor and that was that was pretty dismaying because I do not I don't know much about Kent Goodson but I have to hope he's not bringing his A game to this record because it's it really has a like Casio preset vibe to it. But which... yeah,
0: I was like, I think I've played around with these strings and Garage <laughs> Band like ten yeah. years ago. You know,
2: yeah, um, but you I'm know, I guess Ken- you don't want to take the emphasis away from you know the sonorous voice of <laughs> Joe West. But
1: Kent uh, was interviewed after this album came out. And he said, quote, this is, again, according to Joe West's Wikipedia page, which we now know this part of it is true because Joe West has corrected every other part of the Wikipedia yeah, page, So we true, know this true. to be factual. Kent said, as I look back on how this CD came together, I realized that I am a musician and Joe is an umpire. <laughs> but his love <laughs> for music and my love for baseball bonded us in this project. And if you go to Kent Gibson's, um, Kent Gibson, Kent Goodson, if you go to Kent Goodson's website, um, you see that he owns a studio in Nashville called Digitracks Nashville, which we could rent for $40 per hour, including the engineer. That's just that's downright, a, that's pred- that's that's downright free.
2: Wow.
0: Come on, let's get in there, Alex. Can you imagine having something produced by the same guy who like produced a Joe West album? Yeah. like What He's a got- resume builder. Wait, who
2: produced the Joe West album, though? Was it this guy, or he, did he just play piano on it?
1: No, we need to consult is, the liner notes now. Joe
2: West, a singer, songwriter, producer, could he be a triple threat, quadruple threat? Because his primary threat
1: <laughs> produced by Joe West and Jim Duncan. Mm.
2: Okay. Remix okay. engineers
1: Jeff Park and Jim Duncan. Please put some wow. respect on their names.
2: The Taylor Swift and Jack Antonoff of their time <laughs> and genre, It's a dynamic duo. <laughs>
0: I, I have to say, on uh, on Extra Innings, right, on the 18-minute song, I, I appreciate that he brought other people in for it. So it's not just uh, him laughing at his own jokes all the time. Like, there's a little right. bit of a, a room feel to it. Uh, they also provide just incredible ad-libs throughout, right? Because they're not talking at all. It's just like... Smoker's coughs and then like <laughs> And then like one off like Repetitions of like he's telling one Uh one story About About like one umpire like Like dumping a bill On on another Uh like younger umpire who's really Taken aback by it and one of Joe West's Friends just says heart failure And I'm like <laughs> <laughs> Uh huh That's right <laughs> Can you come oh. be our hot please Lindsay, can you yeah. be that?
1: can you be that for tipping pitches? Can you just yeah. like, come to the studio when we record and you sit off in the corner and you just like yell random things or cough from time to time? I'll
2: laugh and cough like I'm mm-hmm. dying. <laughs> yeah, just yell heart failure. <laughs> if, yeah, um, I can do that
1: if you could have one or two songs that you would want the tipping pitches listeners to hear a little snippet from, not songs, I guess installation. What are we calling these things? this the spoken word
2: Yeah, I think you have to play the one where he's saluting the military. Okay.
0: We are really lucky to live in a country where our entertainment is competing teams on a field or stadium grounds instead of a group of gladiators
1: killing each other on the floor of a coliseum.
2: That kind of just speaks for itself.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable moment when he's talking about how there are only,
2: (laughs) he quotes (laughs) Tony Blair. (laughs) Okay, so I told you guys, I watched right before the recording. I I yeah. looked up if there's any like live performances on YouTube and there's a video of him doing uh, the Fight Inside of Me, the Real Haggard song, like in an empty honky tonk. And he does this same banter. Like he reuses banter. I don't know which came first, but he does like a very similar banter to what's on the album. And it was that part about Tony Blair <laughs> and the GIs. <laughs> and, and the Jesus. American GI. And I was like of all the things to reuse that maybe is the wildest moment on this record to me. But yeah, like set us up here. Maybe we just have to play it. Maybe there's no yeah, way yeah, yeah. There's to describe no this. It like justice. I just no enjoy. Tony Blair was asked by a member of his parliament why he always took up for the Americans. And he responded
1: by saying, You judge a country by how many people are trying to get into it and how many people are trying to get out. I have listened to this before and I guess I just like blacked it out because when I heard the name Tony Blair and then I heard there's only two people who have ever sacrificed for you.
0: Jesus Christ and the American GI.
1: I thought that like someone had slipped some shrooms into my lunch and I was just hallucinating listening to this. It's kind of a bar, you know? (laughs) It's
2: It's it's not even his
1: line. Oh my god.
0: He he gets a he gets a nice Ronald Reagan and Dick Cheney reference in as well. Both, yeah,
2: two different ones. So, you know. Which was the Ronald
0: Reagan one? Remind me of that? I think it was just about how, like, he used to be a baseball broadcaster and, like... Oh, yes. Um, and, you know, what happened This is when he's
1: just naming play-by-play play Yeah, exactly. For like, three like, straight like, minutes. Like, <laughs> Scully.
0: D- knew, really knew how to call a game. And actually, I think my favorite part is We talk shit, but, like, that's what the that, first,
1: like, ten episodes of this podcast yeah, were, like, we were just naming <laughs> shortstops. And we are like, man, you know, Francisco Lindor. Once Korea. again,
2: <laughs> this album is a podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I love that... There's like, you know, there's a little bit of like cheering in the background and uh, what is very clearly like a royalty free broadcaster just like calling a baseball game because it's not a distinguishable voice. And I have to assume that he did not get the clearance rights from Major League Baseball to use an actual broadcast.
2: The cover art, again, Screams, did not get the rights from Major League <laughs> Baseball to do
0: it this. So
1: Unfortunately, he, he kind of was like going for like a paradise by the dashboard light kind of energy in there where he's like trying to throw in the little baseball call to like spruce up the song. And it just, he couldn't clear it, I guess, the way that mm-hmm. Love could. R.I.P. Unbelievable stuff. Ooh, Unbelievable okay. stuff. Um, are you happy that we asked you to do this additional legwork to really re- understand the full aura of Cowboy Joe?
2: I'm happy and I'm honored, and I'll never be the same. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Will you ever go back and listen again? Is is what I want to know because I think Joe West like listens back to it and like I guess talks along in the car. You know, oh. if if, it's, if these are songs are rehearsed, I have to assume he puts on. You know, we support our military, and then just like
2: yeah, sp- that would be a good party trick to just memorize yeah all of extra innings <laughs> <and> just. <laughs> Do it karaoke or so. There is a there's definitely a like guy at a karaoke bar vibe to his music. Like that Mm -hmm. was especially on Blue Cowboy. I was like, this just sounds like some guy getting up to do live band karaoke on like kind of a slow night, right? At a honky tonk in Nashville. And and then like everyone else kind of starts filtering out politely, not all at once, but like (laughs) Lindsay,
1: will you come do out at home a karaoke with us? yes <laughs> to make outing to the local karaoke I mean, bar where they will definitely have the song out
2: Montero's home. maybe We'll we'll bring it well now that Alex has the CD right mm-hmm. we can bring the CD P- with pop us this bad say, boy in. physical media exactly. motherfuckers let's yep. do it yeah maybe we need to write to Joe West or to to put it out there because he's definitely listening right now and going to edit his Wikipedia mm-hmm. page according to this but um, yeah maybe we need like the instrumental track version Right, Joe. Do you have the masters? Yeah. Do you think Joe owns the masters?
1: Do you think he got on that wave? An interesting thing about this album is that it was made in 2008. Uploaded on Spotify, April 11th, 2020. (laughs) He was like, you know what the people need right now? He's like, it's dark (laughs) times. No baseball. What they do need is my spoken word album. I can be their light.
2: (laughs) That's an incredible detail. Yeah, I I thought I didn't realize it was from 2008. I thought it actually was a 2020 release but this makes more sense yeah was, we did need it it's it, it's what america needed the troops needed tony blair mm-hmm. needed it
1: right he made it right at the right, right at the end of the bush era right before obama came in and really ruined his america
0: you know right yeah. he was like i gotta get all this out now because under obama i won't be able to say any of this right they'll yeah. come and they'll take me away for this um
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay's all ads thank you for indulging us this was a lot of fun we had fun i hope the listeners had fun i hope the listeners go and check out a couple of these songs but not too many 55 monthly listeners for cowboy joe west on spotify i hope that number doesn't get them up let's get it to at least 100 (laughs)
2: let's let's crack the triple digits we're just
1: doing ads now (laughs) um alex anything to add before we
0: before we let Lindsay go on um diamond dreams I don't think, I really appreciate you coming on this journey with us. And really, I, I hope he graces us with one more album right. before he packs it in, right? He's clearly got the time and I want him to take it in a different direction. You know, can he do like, like an Afrobeat, like, mm. you know, style album, the right? Dance reggaeton. Um, right. Yeah. A little house music. Like what other mm. tricks up his sleeve I will produce have? Because he's clearly a musical him. chameleon. I can do it. I can do Maybe
2: it. Maybe some like trap country, like we could get oh, kind of like country. hip-hop crossover, <laughs> Even Joe West. Joe West and Lil
1: Nas X. <laughs> I was gonna say Joe West feature on Florida Georgia line. Let's do well, it. Well, like,
2: yeah. What the the one the conservative Florida Georgia line guy, didn't they break up because they have different politics? I don't which know. is like <laughs> is one of them Florida and about, one of them's
1: Georgia? Like I, I don't really yeah. understand the dynamic <laughs> I, of that think, band.
2: <laughs> I think it is. I just, in closing, I want to read the headline of a review of the album that I found, oh, okay, which is yeah. on cleveland.com. And the headline just says, as a country singer, Joe West is a good umpire. <laughs> <laughs> which also is like not true. <laughs> but yeah. But it's a good roast. honestly the most generous thing I've ever heard someone say about Joe West. It's like
1: this it's so if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yes. he is Joe West.
2: <laughs> and Joe South, um, maybe.
1: We, we we can't confirm or deny that fact. Uh Lindsay, where can people find your work?
2: Um in the New York Times and on joewestfanpage.com. No. <laughs> uh we need a we need a name for his Stan Army.
0: I know. Yeah, guys, can we flood Rate Your Music and get the him like Cowboys. five stars on all his albums? Yeah. Well, you yeah. you, you hold a lot of it. power in the the audio,
1: the music podcasting world now. You Just drop a Joe West plug on podcast challenge.
2: It's true, yeah. The next mm-hmm. special epico- episode of podcast is all this. No, we covered it. We really covered it. Mm. It was a true honor. This was unfortunately really fun (laughs) (laughs) you
1: you, you do not under any circumstances have to hand it to Joe West but it was fun thank you Lindsay this was so much fun
2: thank you guys
0: all
1: right thanks to LZ thanks to CJ Dub thanks to you Alex for spending our hard-earned cash to acquire the CD For burning it into an MP3 and and sharing it with us, really appreciate that. Has the added perspective of a couple days since we recorded that made you feel better, worse, about the same about the album? Has it grown on you at all? (laughs) Did you listen to it on the plane while you were flying to the Bay Area?
0: (laughs) No, but it's shame. I'm I'm ashamed to admit that I had the song Blue Cowboy stuck in my head for like the next half day.
1: I I in your regular rotation, have you
0: replaced? Willie Nelson with Cowboy Joe West? Yeah, exactly. Willie, Sturgill Simpson. I mean, who who needs any of them, right? I mean, Joe is the best of, of them all. Country's making a little bit of a comeback,
1: you know? Yeah. We got Zach Bryan. Is that his name? Luke Bryan? Luke Bryan. Zach Bryan is somebody, right? Isn't he also a country album? Country artist? <laughs> yeah. Are there any other people with the last name Bryan?
0: I uh, Well, what we have learned is that there are four last names in country, right? Right, West, East, South,
1: (laughs) and Brian. (laughs) All right, before we get out of here, can we answer one listener question, a good one that we got from the Slack? Yep. Nick T in the Slack asks, I know you guys aren't stat heads to the degree that I am, but I'm sure you have some thoughts. If you could completely remove a statistic from the baseball discourse so that no one could ever talk about it again, what would you pick? Funny question. Such a good question. Because it's not just like what stat is useless. It's like what stat is useless but also inspires the most annoying fucking people in the entire world talking
0: about it. Yeah. Is like remarkably influential.
1: I think I would get rid of um, get rid of losses. Team losses. Nobody ever loses. Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just playing for fun. <laughs> That's Everybody how it goes. 162 and 0. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my real answer is can I can I like modify this? I don't want to wipe this stat off the face of the earth. I want to make it I want to go back to a time when it was not publicly available. Okay. Expected batting average.
0: <laughs> all right.
1: I like listen, I respect all of the people who use expected batting expected batting average. I respect all of the people or like ex WOBA or whatever it might be, like expected outcomes of stat cast related events. And I understand how it informs sort of like future prediction of how well a player is going to do. And I understand why that might be useful to a team. I understand why that might be useful to a sabermetric-minded writer. But I just think there's a lot of people who just like go to StatCast or like see a screenshot of StatCast going around Twitter and they're like, well, that should have been a hit 90% of the time. And I'm kind of like qualitatively didn't yeah, that, we know, th- know that that was true before like
0: if you smoked right, I mean, one how, right at the center that's probabilities probably? work I'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and I, I feel like this would be a, this is a controversial choice for like for sabermetric people because I think expected batting average is extremely useful to those people and adds to a lot of people's experience but I just think that there are so many people who are just like well we got hosed by expected batting average in this game and we should have won well, it's not that simple, really, and I think that the oversimplica- oversimplification of it leads to really frustrating discussions. And perhaps this is a bias of mine because last year there was like this whole thing between Braves fans and Mets fans about how every time they played, the Mets got all of these like weak, low, low expected batting average hits, and that they weren't actually good this whole time, and that they just kept getting lucky against the Braves. Even Spencer Strider leaned into this, where he was like, "I felt like they got a lot of lucky hits today." And it was a whole talking point. I'm like, there's just more ways to be good at baseball than hitting it hard where they aren't, you know? Like, there there's a lot of other things that you can be good at. And also, you know, batting average is not the only thing that makes a team score runs. There's, like, walks. There's conversion of runners in scoring position. Like, these are all things that, while hard to predict and while hard to rely on, do end up mattering in a single season which is still okay to care about. So yeah. expected batting average is the thing that I would get rid of publicly. Allow teams to still use it privately, but publicly, I'm like, maybe we could just excise this from our memories.
0: Well, I mean, the thing with a lot of these sort of stat-cast analytics is that, again, the statistical literacy among fans is middling at best, right? Like a lot of these stats are descriptive, not predictive, right? They say... Here is what has usually happened on Ball's hit, like the one that was just hit, right? And fans are like, oh, okay, well, so that means this should have been a home run. Yes, exactly. There's an entitlement that comes with expected batting average
1: or, you know, like the would it dong sort of situation. Like this would have been a home run if it was hit in a different ballpark that I think undercuts the fucking point of baseball. Right. Which is that it's a really hard game that's sometimes fucking really random. unlucky and random. Yeah. And that's why it's fun. And that's why we all like it. And I think we're straying a little bit too far from that. We mm-hmm. all are like expecting it to play out like it's MLB the show and you squared one up and you're supposed to get a home run from it. That bothers me. It also it's like it's very similar to the straight of thing when we talked about um the ump scorecards thing, where it's like the expected increase in runs for this because of this call would have been 0.08 runs, and that would have caused, you know, the Mets to beat the Marlins or something. Like, that's not how that works. It's impossible to say for sure whether that would have led to anything. And I think that that is, um, it's unfortunate because like that, those are, these are additive things to be able mm-hmm. to look at, look at the game and describe what could have happened with a statistic. And I think that it's very valuable to a lot of people, but to the large majority of people, I think that they just like get personally offended by it somehow. And I, I hate that. It's so negative. It's such a negative way to experience the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, and admittedly, initi- I find myself slipping into that negativity sometimes, too. Like, if a Pete Alonzo you know, you? fly out has an 880 expected batting average, I feel a little hard done. Mm-hmm. But if it was like 2009, I would have just been like, damn, he just missed that one.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of missed that <laughs> damn, he just missed that up. one feeling, <laughs>
0: you know? Um, yeah, my mind initially went to something like launch angle, right? Which has informed so much awful discourse over the last few years. Um, but again, I also like, I find value in them, right? I think they are informative to fans, to media, to teams and, and clearly to players, right? Um, not to retired players though.
1: (laughs) Don't even utter the phrase launch angle around them.
0: Well, because they're, because before the home runs didn't have angles, right? Before we learned what launch angles were, they didn't exist. The launch angle was zero for every yeah. home run that Alex right. Rodriguez ever hit. <laughs> um, I'm cool with getting rid of saves. Nice, just, just don't really serve a purpose. I like I because then it
1: then it um it takes away from the lore of Yankees legend Mariano Rivera. <laughs> I could get behind this. <laughs> I mean, I initially thought Billy Wagner was a better player than Mariano Rivera. Then
0: <laughs> I I'm I'm kind of a, a the same mind about pitcher wins, right? Which feels like a little little easier, but like these are two stats that not only aren't really useful in in describing how well a player's doing, but are also used so heavily, right? It's not like they are being misused. It's that they're being used. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going the other way on pitcher wins. You want you want
1: What is the other way? More pitcher wins? I think we've undervalued pitcher wins now. Mm. Listen,
2: Uh
1: did you win? I am. Did you win? (laughs) Did you get the win? Did you put your team... Obviously, it's not the only thing that we should be talking about. But also, like, if there was a pitcher, theoretically speaking, who had a 2.00 ERA and went 0-12, there's, that indicates to me that something else is going wrong. It is not nothing. The way that people have, obviously, and that's it's an overcorrection because it's been overvalued for so long. The concept of wins, ne- never more, never was it more overvalued than when Rick Porcello won the AL Cy Young because of because he just won twenty games, but there was like seventeen pitchers that were better than him that year. Yeah, I think from a qualitative perspective of baseball which in modern discourse and modern baseball discourse is less important than quantitative perspectives. I think that it still tells you something about how the game went. If a starting pitcher is the the person who came in and got the win. I think that maybe we can get rid of pitcher wins for like relievers, you know, like I don't need to know whether they got the win or the loss because it says absolutely nothing about what they did in the game. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. It's like more circumstantial, much more circumstantial than for starters. But like, I don't know. Maybe this is because I was like around CC for so long and he clearly cared so much about wins and getting to 300 wins and like staying in the game long
0: enough to get a win. I kind of, I mean, I kind of think that that's still something. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that like it's meaningful for players, but it's meaningful because that's the way the game has been designed is for them to be meaningful, right? So you have to get to five innings to get that win, right? Whatever. Um, but don't you want to get to
1: five innings? I mean because if yeah, you don't get yeah, five, if you go four and two thirds, no runs, a hundred pitches, though. By design, the rest of your team still has to do more for you than you did for them as a pitcher. And so I think that you still kind of like didn't do your job. I don't that sounds it sounds <laughs> ridiculous. I feel like I like feel like Chris Russo talking about this. Like I feel like Mad Dog. I feel like Mike Francesa. But like, I don't know. I, I, I just, something about it. I still kind of like the pitcher win.
0: Okay. <laughs> wow, this is our new DH. You're coming, and you're looking at me like I have five bets. I'm, I'm like, I'm stunned. I just, I mean. You hung, I mean, it, you hung tough. <laughs> right, but, but also the other thing is like, it goes the other way, right? Like you could have an awful game yeah. and get a fuck and your team backs you up. And so, like, it might be descriptive in saying you were a good pitcher that got unlucky, but it also re- rewards you. It also rewards you even if you do poorly, right? Like you just pointed out with Rick Purcello, who didn't do poorly, but was bailed out by his baseball team behind him.
1: Yes, it rewards you if you do poorly, but it, it can also hurt, hurt you if you do well. And I feel like it kind of balances itself out. It's not. I'm not saying it's the end-all be-all of an- analyzing that's, pitchers. That is, so like, that's That's what look, you're saying. You're talking to a FIP guy. I love FIP. <laughs> <laughs> okay? You can't find as many people who feel as strongly about FIP and pitcher wins as me. I don't think. I am a walking contradiction. I just think that, like, there is an aesthetic version of the game that I like that incentivizes pitchers to stay in longer than four innings. Period. And, and there aren't a whole lot of stats out there that still value that other than pitcher wins. And so I guess I am backed into a corner and saying that pitcher wins are still kind of important to me.
0: That's really unfortunate that you uh, think Corbin Burns should be paid less in arbitration because he (laughs) didn't get enough wins. That sucks. I'm just going to say This
1: version of my world, we don't have arbitration. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bending the rules a little bit, but, but I'll allow it. But like, okay, that's a great example though. Zach Wheeler should have won the Cy Young that year. Not because he had more wins necessarily, but because he was effective for more innings. Way more innings. Like 50 more innings. I think we overcorrected a little bit there. And I, I don't really even remember what it amounted to. Whether Corbin Burns won or Zach Wheeler won more games that year. Like pitcher wins. But like, kind of objectively speaking, Zach Wheeler did more for his team that year. Because the Phillies' bullpen fucking sucked. And so he stayed into the eighth inning repeatedly for a team that needed him to stay into the eighth inning. And the Brewers didn't need Corbin Burns to stay into the eighth inning, I guess. Or he just is not the type of pitcher who can do that. But like, I don't know. I, I think that there we're sort of like missing, I don't you, you know, like, there, of course, war accounts for this, too. But we're missing something that is like not quite on the page about starting pitchers going deeper into games.
0: So more... I think what you're saying is more teams should have bad bullpen so their starters are forced to go longer. <laughs> like, if the Phillies can distribute their strategy to every baseball team, we'd be golden. The 300-inning pitcher would be back. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> That'd be great.
1: I don't know, but I, I, I also feel like we're kind of in a feedback loop right now where, like, because... Like we're 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 never gonna pitchers are it's never gonna buck the trend now. Like we're never going back to pitchers throwing more. It's always gonna be pitchers throwing less. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that's bad, I, and I'm not afraid I, to say it. That's,
0: <laughs> you're getting you're getting the hot takes here.
1: I was the, the person who episode. was like, "Send Matt Harvey back out for the ninth inning." <laughs> yep, <laughs> I was. I believe that I, I know, said I know. that to you in that moment. I, I was like, you know yep. what? He deserves it. He earned
0: mm-hmm. the right. To lose this game sounds, so do you think sounds do you so you think retrograde does, when I put it does that he way. deserve the loss then there? yeah, because he did he did everything he could have for his team, maybe he didn't even make the call to go back out there. Maybe that's his manager's call. well, it was his manager's call to take him out, and then he had to talk him out of it. <laughs> well
1: <laughs> what a surreal thing, like something that only could have happened in 2015 like because Terry. because in an earlier era of baseball it wouldn't have even been a conversation they would have sent the pitcher back out. Yeah. And in a later era of baseball it wouldn't have even been a conversation he would have been out after the 7th inning. So that sweet spot, that like 7 years there in the middle between 2009 and 2016 is the only time where an argument like that could have happened and of course it happened to Matt Harvey with Terry Collins with Mets fans lives depending on it,
0: you know. <laughs> Yeah, the script writers have given up on this one.
1: Um, Okay, so you're getting rid of my beloved pitcher wins as well as saves, and I'm getting rid of expected batting average. Nick, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that we sufficiently answered your question. Uh, Thank you again to Lindsay's All Ads. Thank you to everybody for listening. As a reminder, next week on the show, our interview with Evan Drellick about winning fixes everything. Maybe we'll ask him a little bit about this economic reform committee if we have time for it, but primarily going to be focused on Evan's book about the Astros, not just the Science stealing scandal, really the entire corporate restructuring. It's a really interesting book, by the way. Yeah. I'm like 100 pages into it right now as we speak. And um, it has a lot to say about modern American corporate structure and uh, Jim Crane and even war profiteering. <laughs> So if you have the book and you're waiting to start reading, if, if you have the book and you're looking for a reason to start reading it, this could be your reason. If you don't have the book, you're on the fence about buying it, this could be your reason for buying it. If you're not in either of those two categories, that's okay too. We're going to have a, the conversation in a way that will be accessible to people who kind of just know the story generally, which most people do by this point. Um, I still think the book is very enriching in adding context and laying, just laying the facts out in a timeline, laying the facts out in a timeline that is like incredibly revealing by the nature of the way that they're laid out
0: well well and discusses why why baseball was ripe for this sort of scandal right the the sequence of events that effectively enabled the astros to do this sort of thing and and showed how they're just i mean they're bad actors in a bad system do you think we need to bring a
1: jeff lunow type into the tipping pitches
0: media empire just a a
1: disruptor like a little little asshole who just like wants to do things his own little way (laughs) He's, he's, Jeff Lunow does not seem like a good hang. No, he
0: does not. <laughs> yeah, one day. I don't feel like either of us really embody the the Lunow ethos very well. I was going to say, which one of us is Jeff and Which one of us is Sigma Dell? <laughs> I was going to ask which is Jim Crane, but
1: <laughs> Arod's Jim Crane. There you go. Yeah, he's the he's the big business tycoon involved in this operation. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back